Welcome to a 2015 Traumatic Brain Injury Consumer Conference podcast, sponsored by Kessler Foundation and Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation. Panel presentation, Mike Greenwald, EDM, presents Mike at the Mic, the importance of volunteering. This presentation was recorded on Thursday, September 24, 2015, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System with support from the National Institute of Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, Administration for Community Living, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Washington, D.C., grant number H133A120030. So next, we're honored to have an all-time favorite of ours, Mike at the Mic. Mike Greenwald has been an integral part of the Brain Injury of Alliance of New Jersey since 1992. A retired teacher, Mr. Greenwald currently serves on the Alliance's Board of Trustees as one of its officers. Also, he has been serving as a support group leader since the early 1990s. He was a strong force in reestablishing the Council for Head Injured Community, known as CHIC, as a major portion of the Alliance. Finally, he has served as CHIC chairman. CHIC is one of the Alliance's most active committees. The aim of CHIC is to companion and publicize the advocacy, rights, and needs of people who have survived a brain injury. Mr. Greenwald is responsible for the development of Mike at the Mic, CHIC's signature event at the Alliance's annual seminar. Mike at the Mic has been a staple item at our seminars for over a decade. By applying his teaching skills, Mr. Greenwald facilitates a panel workshop that fields questions related to a topic developed by Chick. Using a microphone, Mike is fully able to engage with the audience by talking to each of them, much like an afternoon talk show. Mike at the Mic is known to be both educational and fun by those who attend. If anyone would like some additional information about CHIC, the BIANJ has their table here at the end of the hall, so please stop by where you can get some more information about joining CHIC. Today's Mike at the Mic session is entitled, The Importance of Volunteering. So please give a warm welcome to Mike Greenwald. Thank you, Jeannie. Good morning, everyone. I based my introduction today on that from the book Chicken Soup for the Volunteer's Soul. In recent times, as society has progressed, the concept of volunteering has offered comfort and aid, and most importantly, one's time to make a difference has become a valid and accepted part of our daily lives. Good stories involve unique experiences tied to emotions which grab our attention and motivate us to push harder to better the world in which we live. Today, CHIC, which is a committee of the Brain Injury Alliance of New Jersey, will examine how volunteering has played such an important part in the lives of the brain injured community. You, the audience, will assist us as we discover that a single individual can make a significant difference and have a positive impact upon our world. Let me begin 
by introducing our panel members. Our first panel member is Michelle A. Polk. She had worked as a guidance counselor and classroom teacher for 35 years in both New Jersey elementary and middle schools. In March 2014, she and her husband were returning from Atlantic City when she began driving erratically and slurring her speech. Her husband drove home and the rest of the way, but she did see a doctor before going to work for the next two days. Her timing was still not good, and she was admitted to Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital through the insistence of her son, who was a paramedic. After they found that she did have two strokes, one very recent. She saw a cardiologist, a neurologist, and was transferred to JFK Hospital Center for the Brain Injury at Oak Tree in Edison. Eventually, Michelle and her husband relocated in Monroe Township, closer to her son in Cranberry, and she attended treatment three times weekly and did not require physical therapy, but received occupational therapy, speech therapy, and the services of a social worker and a neurophysiologist. As she recovered, she had great desire to volunteer in the area. Through the assistance of professional friends, she began volunteering at St. Clair's Hospital in Denville. She previously had volunteered at the Church of the Redeemer Soup Kitchen and continues to do so. Michelle and her husband both assisted at first night Morris on New Year's Eve and were both recently they were both recently appointed to the board of directors. Among other organizations, she serves on the executive board of the Morris County Professional Counselors Association, the New Jersey Counselors Association, and is now employed by St. Peter's Hospital. Please welcome our first panel member, Michelle A. Polk. Our next panel member is John Laudis. In the summer of 1982, after a year of civil engineering studies at Drexel University, he was in an automobile accident with five friends also in the car. Miraculously, he was the only one seriously injured. Hours later, he was helicoptered from a local hospital to Bellevue Hospital in New York City, where his life was saved. John was in a coma for three weeks and three months after the accident, he was transferred to Children's Specialized Hospital in Mountainside, where he learned to walk, talk, and perform the activities of daily living. Six months later, he attended a cognitive rehab program at Rutgers, and after a year in this program, he enrolled at Union County College, and with the help of tutors, John completed in four and a half years an associate's degree in applied science in 1989. He still exhibits seriously mem serious memory difficulties, and he has worked as a lab technician since 1991. This panel member helps out at his church whenever possible by assisting with the upkeep of its property and by helping other members when the church serves lunch at St. Joseph's Soup Kitchen in Elizabeth, New Jersey. When he had his dog, Hank, he visited the nursing home where he, his grandparents lived. Dog was a perfect height to be petted from a wheelchair. 
The residents just love to see his tail wag. Well, one day on his way home from work, John stopped by Children's Specialized Hospital to ask if he could volunteer. The OT he had uh, as a patient was now a director of volunteers, and he invited him to help out with the Wednesday evening recreational program. They usually play games and make things during the holidays, and since 1992, he has contributed over 1,000 hours there, a chance to help the place that once helped him. Welcome our second panel member, John Laudis. Our final panel member is Dennis Balance. You have been to the first uh, program, then you might have heard Dennis say something about his story. But if, if not, I will repeat a lot of it. As a 19-year-old chemistry major attending St. Peter's College in New Jersey, in Jersey City, he was involved in an almost fatal automobile accident on September 13, 1980. The other three in the car received a ruptured bowel, a perforated spleen, and a broken arm. But Dennis, the driver, was the recipient of a ruptured diaphragm, a lacerated eye, broken rib, damage to brain tissue, and a 35-day coma. Over six weeks, he had to relearn many physical abilities, including walking. However, life on the outside continued. First, Dennis graduated from Middlesex Votech Physician Assistance Program. He received a two-year degree from Middlesex County College, a BA from Rutgers University, and a postgraduate. He became a computerized medical office specialist and an administrative assistant. Throughout his recovery, Dennis volunteered as a companion at New Jersey's Hartwick Head Injury program in Edison, New Jersey. He began to help out at Perth Amboy Hospital. Also, he did work for elderly people experienced that experienced dementia and helped others with shopping, doing housework, yard maintenance, and handyman jobs. Dennis has found much gratification in doing service for others who are not able to do things in which he is physically and intellectually capable. Please help me welcome our final panel member, Dennis Balance. Now, this is the uh, third time that Mike at the Mic has done its program at this organization, and I just want to remind you of some of the rules. We have questions here, but my questions are not the important ones. The important questions are those from the audience. So I will start the panel off with a question. But remember, we're talking about volunteering. So if you have a question about volunteering, please, I don't say wait until the end of the program, because the end of the program actually is the beginning of the program, right now. If you have a question about volunteering, the panel is here to help you. Okay? First question I'm going to ask, um, and I have a few, but don't worry about my questions. I'm worried about yours. I'll ask Michelle. What obstacles and challenges do you have a as a volunteer with a brain injury? Actually, I don't. Is this on? Can you hear me in the back? 
Okay, so I don't really look, the only obstacle, I've never really had an obstacle, but the only obstacle I would foresee would be the transportation piece of it. I'm very well blessed, I can in fact drive, so should it be a problem for me, um, occasionally I take a bus, which leaves me from the property where I presently live and takes me to my volunteer opportunity in New Brunswick, and also takes me back from New Brunswick back to the property where I live. So for some people, I look at the um, transportation piece as an obstacle, but it's an obstacle that can in fact be overcome. As I shared, I have a bus that would transport me if I needed it, whether it be a bus from Robert Wood Johnson and St. Peter's, there's access buses available, and in the community where I live, they also have buses that would take people to different places should they need it. Thank you, Michelle. You're welcome. Now, if there's anybody who has a question that is either related to the one that I just asked or any others, please put your hand up and Jeannie will help me and come around and uh, get your question. Uh, let me just ask the same question since Michelle only had the transportation problem. Let me ask uh, John. We're asking what challenges you have as a volunteer with a brain injury. Well, I'm, I'm fortunate. The uh, place I volunteer most of my time is uh, Children's Specialized Hospital in Mountainside. And um, I found that on my way home from work one day. And fortunately, it's the same place every day, every week. I volunteer on Wednesday nights for the evening rec program. And the only problem I have in transportation is sometimes the more critical patients um, have to have someone who's certified. So I make sure that I'm, there's someone around that's certified if I'm transporting a, a patient that needs these qualities. That's, that's it. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Any uh, questions yet? Oh. All right, you're challenging me. I will ask another question of the, of the panel. Dennis, since we haven't heard from you yet, what benefits, if any, did you gain as a result of volunteering? When I volunteered briefly in the Hartwick Head Injury Center, I was able to see the stages at which a lot of, a lot of the injured were in and realize the stage at which I was in. And um, I could be thankful for the, the fact that I did not have any injuries or, or inhibitions like the majority of the people I saw who were bedridden. I mean, I'm fully ambulatory, can drive and everything. Um, I, I, I'm thankful, I thank God for it. You know, it's the only, the only uh, way I could uh, feel about, about uh, my experience at, at the uh, Head Injury Center. Um, I mean, we're always comparing ourselves to other people, it comes naturally, you know, and I just, I just feel so, un so fortunate, especially through my athletic career that I mentioned before. With a ruptured diaphragm, you have a hard time breathing. And um, if I hadn't had a strong enough heart from, from the training that I did throughout my life, I wouldn't have 
made it through the accident or after the operation. So I'm, I'm just thankful that um, things happened. I'm turning a bad into a good. I mean, it was pretty much the best thing that ever happened to me. Dennis, but, um, do you feel there are uh, any difficulties that you've had because of your brain injury? Many. <laughs> many. I'm talking about in volunteering. Volunt well, for reasons I can't really understand why, um, I was no longer needed as a volunteer at Hartwick. I'm willing to do the work. I mean, work is my middle name just about. Um, but uh, for some reason, the uh, coordinator, I guess, of the program said they, they didn't need me. You know, so I, I was looking for a paid job, which most TBI people have had starting, you know, in a profession, in a life. And at the stage in which my TBI, TBA happened, I was still a kid. I Thank you. You wanted to comment Michelle. on that, Michelle? Okay, so I look at my volunteerism and the, the experiences I had at St. Peter's Hospital as what has actually helped me to recover. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, my children um, became somewhat involved in my recovery, so as Mike had indicated, they moved me from where I was, which is up in Morris County, to where I am, which is now Middlesex County. So I was pretty far away from where I could go back to work, if you will. So because of that, I needed to kind of redevelop myself in a different way, and I was having that kind of conversation with Rich from Chick a few minutes ago. So what happened was, once I got down there to this place called Monroe, I knew that I needed to do something with my time. I'm not really, I'm not ADD, but you know, I have a tendency to have to have each of my minutes filled and doing things that are productive or doing things to help others. As an example, I was being looked upon, like where was I? I was in the bathroom and somebody was having a hard time putting the water on, so I showed her what, how to put the water on. Yesterday I went on a bus and this woman was carrying a bag that was clearly too heavy for her. So as she was deboarding the bus, I took the bag and put it down on the ground so she can carry it the rest of the way. That's just who I am. So consequently, what happened was when I went to Monroe, I really needed to do some volunteerism. And what precipitated that was the fact that I do still work up in uh, Morris County at St. Clair's Hospital. I'm very proud of that, at least for 15 years, and I won't give it up. Um, so I guess St. Peter's was a comparable move, if you will. It's a Catholic hospital. I'm not Catholic, but it just seemed like it was going to be a good fit. So I went there from the very get-go, got those letters of recommendations that I needed, and everything was put in order. And they interviewed me for the position, which is like amazing. You're volunteering, but you need interview. They didn't do a reference check. I had my former superintendent who was on a golf course, if you will. He was contacted by this agency to ask about my employment record. Tony later called me and said, you know, Michelle, I got this phone call from this agency wanting to know about your absenteeism when you worked for me like 20 years ago. I said, I'm really sorry, I apologize profusely that they actually went that far back to go ahead and check out that I was going to be consistent enough in my attendance in this position as a volunteer. But I do take the position very seriously, and I guess St. Peter's did their job to do a check 
on my character way back, you know, 20 years ago. And my superintendent, fortunately, was still alive kicking and was on the golf course when he got the phone call. But nonetheless, they hired me on. I was in labor and delivery for about a year and a half now, and I have to say that my colleague, who happens to be a, a kid herself, like 25-year-old, was the person that helped me. She doesn't realize how much she helped me, but she did. So the importance of volunteering is that you can help, it can help you to get better if you have that determination to not give up. As obviously Dennis is not giving up, he's gonna find another place that wants him. But my point is that volunteerism does speed up the recovery process. As long as you have the determination and the perseverance to take a couple of knocks along the way, you can do amazing things and truly make a difference each and every day in the lives of others. Definitely don't get frustrated by things that happen along the way. That was really good. Thanks, Michelle. Um, we have a question. Yeah, first I'm, from I'm, the audience. I'm Richard Anderson. I'm also the chairperson for CHIC. And uh, in line of what you talk, your question had to do about benefits for volunteering. And I don't want to. Thanks very much. I uh, don't believe that was a question, but that's all right. I, I'm only kidding. Go ahead. Thank you. I just want to share, because I heard it this morning on the radio coming in, and just piggyback off what he said, and I wrote it down. When you volunteer or help others, you are the one who benefit the most. Wow. Well, that's nice. Where did you hear it? Okay, thank you. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, just uh, some of the experience that I have. Um, I did my apprenticeship as an electrician, um, and I also do uh, what is known as um, cabling, which is uh, computer, computer wiring. Um, and I had a, a motorcycle accident about five years ago. Um, and uh, I have um, not only uh, volunteered um, with my church, um, and just like um, the woman um, said, she just so seems to have that that uh, just in her character to to help people. So I've helped people. Just I I I guess the way I look at things is is that um, you know if you can help somebody, you know. Uh, if there's a need there, you know, and you can help them to help them. Um, That's good. But, but the one thing that I, that I did think, uh, that I did do is, is currently I'm not working, 
but um, another area that I have um, done volunteering in is with Habitat for Humanity. And I, uh, the point that I wanted to make about that is that, um, like this gentleman said, you know, you might not be able to, to get back to work, but I find that with Habitat, um, especially if you can get in with the right people, I've worked with some great people at Habitat, and um, that it, it can be a bridge to working your way back to the workforce, if that's possible. Would you like to possibly turn that into a question for any of our panel members? Because they're volunteering today for this. Right. Um, hmm. No, it's just more, more okay. kind of taking off what he said, and that, that maybe we have a question. That could be a benefit. Is it a question, to, possibly? To work your way back to the the okay. workforce. Well, I appreciate your comment. Thank you so much. Um, I do have a question, but uh, first, I just want to say is when the workplace doesn't want you, you when you go and help others, that's what I've been doing since my brain injury, as a chaplain and. Um, getting to talk to people who um, wanted to take their lives and almost, you can almost relate to that. But the question I have for the panel is, um, let me think, is, is when a person volunteers and they volunteer their heart out, it's hard to say no. And I only have so much energy and I feel like I'm splitting my time between about three organizations, and it's hard to say no. So how do you say, when you're volunteering a lot of places, how do you say no? Uh, Michelle? I think I'm in the same position. So I find myself not saying no. So what happens is that I go home and I try to sort through it. You know, you have to kind of prioritize what's really important for you and then try to go through that process and then whatever comes up to the top is really what you need to, you know, focus in on. So for example, as Mike said, I'm involved in a lot of um, organizations because of my passion. My, pa my passion and my education is in guidance and counseling and school social work. It's my passion. I haven't given it up. I'm doing it privately, if you will, so there are certain students that I actually do tutor in a way that I'm really their cheerleader, if you will, so they call me and I give them suggestions as to how they can do better in the hope that they will get into the college that they want because that's where I think they belong rather than giving up. So my counseling component is really important to me, but I'm brain injured, so I know that there are shortcomings here. My memory is not the same. As much cognitive rehab as I've done and therapy with my neuropsych. No, I still do Lumosity every day. So I'm still in that process. I, I haven't given up on that. So my response to you is really prioritize your items that are most important and don't neglect the ones that come down at the bottom of your list, but don't spread yourself too thin or don't overload yourself because that, that overloading doesn't give you the opportunity to have a clear mind, which can set you right back on that same pathway of a, another event. Thank you. Dennis, I was curious while I was listening to the question, how do you say no? It's hard for me to say no. Other people say, say no instead. Um, you have to prioritize. I mean, a lot of people like myself, I have encephalomalacia to my frontal lobe. 
we have a hard time. I mean, what I was saying before wasn't on, on target to the topic volunteerism. I wanted to add about the volunteerism, you have, I was a voice in the room, especially for the bedridden that really couldn't move and weren't, uh, you know, too conscious of much, but they were conscious, they were still alive. So anything in the ambient environment that they're gonna pick up on and stimulate their brain, which is important for TBIs to avoid dementia. So the basis is you know what it's like to be a person who's brain injured and therefore you know exactly where to channel your energies. I don't always know where to channel my energies. No? That be, because of the neuropathways that were blocked. But um, new neuropathways are being formed all the time. So I, I can really um, you know, concentrate harder on staying on topic. That's, one of the, that's a main inhibition. Thank you, Dennis. We have a question over here. Uh, yes, my husband uh, has a traumatic brain injury and considering volunteering, but he's of course has a lot of fatigue, carries around his notepad to remind him to do things. Um, do you uh, have a preference uh, as to whether or not you want to be identified as a uh, brain trauma survivor when you're volunteering, or do you think that that puts up a block for people that might be aware of what brain trauma entails, thinking that you're not equipped for lack of a better word, to really follow through because of your memory or your fatigue. It's addressed to me, or I, I, I think it's it's pretty it's pretty pertinent that people know where you stand. You know, I mean, it's it's becoming more common traumatic, traumatic brain injury, even concussions. They're considering TBIs now. So I mean, it's if more knowledge is Obtain, attained regarding tra traumatic brain injuries, there should not be a stigma st applied to it, where it, just like mental illness is a stigma, you know, and a lot of TBIs have mental illnesses. Thank you. John, you yeah, want to um, add to that? Yeah, I want to comment also. Um, I volunteered at the hospital, and um, I was a trach scar, and one of the patients there said, my gosh, you were a patient here, and um, I said yes. I was a patient here in 1982, and they were. I think they were. I told them what my history was. I think they were slightly um, in, um, intrigued by my my um, where I was and how how I had gone pretty much through the same path they were going through. Thanks. You can add, go ahead. Okay, I, I just want to comment on that. Um, we've had this conversation before that none of us wear really brain injury on our forehead or TBI, you know, so I personally do not think that that needs to be a topic of conversation with anybody that I'm volunteering with. I mean, the people that kn do know are the people that are in charge. The, the people that I come in contact with do not know, and I don't, I think that's my, respecting my own privacy. So when I mentioned to you the fact that V certainly did know because I was working closely with her, she helped me immensely. She helped me to use the computer. So when uh, Mike made mention of the fact that I'm a registrar, I register people at one of the adult communities in the morning, 
The nurse there doesn't know that I have a brain injury, but the people in my community are aware of that, and they look at me like, really? I mean, you don't stop. I'm 24-7, you know? I ride a bike, I play tennis, you know? I do all of those things that I used to do because I was determined that I was gonna get back as far as I could to who I was. Am I totally back? My kids say yes. My own children say yes. And the other people that have known me say that because they my appearance doesn't look like I have a brain injury, and I have no deleterious effect. Nobody notices that, but I did. The x-rays and the scans prove it. But from that point forward, it's where you're headed, where he wants to go. If he really has a passion and he really wants to volunteer, then he has to narrow the field with your help and assistance as to where it would be a good fit for him to go to do that volunteering that he would like to do. And hopefully they will not discriminate against him as my colleagues with me have said, you know, they won't, they'll give him the chance and the opportunity to do it. Go for it. Thanks, Michelle. We have a question over here. Uh, actually, I have two. Is it okay if I go with both? Two questions? Okay, I'll, it, it I'll, let, I'll let it go. Up. Okay. <laughs> First thing, obviously, um, I, I say this a lot in groups, uh, kind of hear it often and when people talk about volunteering we often hear things like volunteering with the church volunteering with a group um, the aspect of volunteering the definition is basically the willingness to do something for free can we at least bring attention to the fact that it doesn't matter if you're doing it with a group and if you simply help a neighbor trim their hedges or something like that you're still volunteering I mean it doesn't seem like that ever really comes out well, you know what, that's an interesting point. Like I said to you from the very beginning, I was in the bathroom and the woman couldn't get the water to go to wash her hands. So I'm standing there and it was delayed when I guess Angela was looking like, where did she go already? Um, I was trying to show to her, you need to touch that little thing over there and the water does come on. You know, until I showed her, then it happened. And the same happened when I was riding the bus yesterday. You know, somebody couldn't carry their bag of food to bring it in. You know, but then there's been downsides to that same situation. So I saw a woman on my property, my husband really was very angry at me and told me, do not offer your services. He said the same thing yesterday to me when I offered to carry her bag. You've been told, okay, okay, I get it. So I saw this woman in my property really struggling to put an umbrella up on her table. It was a glass table and no big deal, I can carry. So I carried her, her umbrella outside of her garage and attempted to put it on her table which was very easy for me to do, but I wasn't smart enough to realize she never had that reinforcement around the table where the umbrella went. This table shattered. She looked at me and said, well, now what? I said, well, I'm gonna help you pick up the glass and the shards, which of course I did. And then she said to me, which I really still grates at me, well, aren't you gonna buy me another table? So I ended up going, I can't tell you to how many different places to get glass, temper glass for that table and it went as high as $350 at one of the stores, and so on and so forth. I brought her two tables, and she nixed both of them. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So then my husband got involved in this, because I had to fess up, obviously. Now I need to see I have to go get this table for this lady. So we proceeded. So we went up to Lowe's, because that's where she allegedly got it. It was a gift from her sister, and it cost like $400. It was all a lie. So we went to Lowe's, and they dug down deep, the guy was gracious. He found the same table from last year's model. It cost me $74. I brought that table over to her. 
I left it. My husband said, we are not putting it together. Drop it off. We dropped it off. But we went back under, with her permission and took the frame of the table I broke. And I said, Dan, you're not keeping that frame and whatever. <laughs> brought it back. And I haven't spoken to her since. But a, a little while ago, I had the courage. About three weeks ago, she was in the gym and I was there. So I had the courage to go up to her because I haven't said boo to her. I was so angry. I still am. I still harbor that anger because I was really trying to help her. And it backfired. So my husband says, you are not to help anybody unless they ask for it. OK, cost us $74 and a lot of trips back and forth to stores. So anyway, the bottom line of it, I finally said to her, you know what? You changed my life. You, cho you taught me a life lesson, not to go out on a limb and help anybody unless they ask me. So I want you to know that that table broke. It would have broke because you stuck the umbrella in because it doesn't have the reinforcer. So what did she say to me? Well, I didn't put it in this time, but I said, guess what? When you take it out and it breaks, it's on your back, not mine. Oh. Ooh. You know, while I do get that, um, that I was more angling towards you open the door for somebody, the water, or that type of stuff. I mean, people should look at that and realize, like, you're still technically, in an essence, volunteering, because as it is, some people can't go to the churches and that stuff. Okay, so let, listen to this one. Last week, last time week when I was at the chick meeting, this was really bizarre. It was the barbecue. So this woman was circling around the parking lot. She was stalking me. So I'm like, oh, geez, I don't know who she is. I have no idea. But I was feeling really pretty uncomfortable. And I was by myself, so I said, OK, so now what's happening? So she pulls down the window. This is a joke. I mean, it's really the truth. She pulls down the window. And it was the last time we were in Eatontown doing our presentation. I went around to all the um, Kia, you know, the people that are displaying stuff. So this woman, it turns out it was her. So I had a, at least a 45-minute conversation with her, and she shared with me how her brother is a shut-in. He had a brain injury, and she can't do anything to get him out and about. And I was like, really? She says, but I have to tell you that your stern talking to me and giving me all that referral information truly made a difference. And he now, I, she, dropped him, she drops him off at St. Lawrence, which is another group that I go to. So she drops him off at St. Lawrence regularly, and then she leaves him. And then she comes in later on to see that he begins to socialize. So she said to me, she said, I have to tell you that it was that information that you shared me back in Eatontown that really made a difference. So I appreciated her coming up to me, at least telling me that it did make a difference. But you know, it doesn't have to be in a formal setting, no way. Yeah, of course, I understand that. Uh, the only other thing that came up when you were talking about, should I tell people I have a dis you know, brain injury and all that? Um, I deal with a lot of communities online. I don't necessarily go to very many in person. I spend a lot of my other time sleeping. But people tend to not want to share that they have a brain injury. But then I will also see where they complain, where people, they, they take forever to think, that type of stuff. Um, and our biggest issue is obviously the hidden disabilities, things you don't see. Wouldn't it be more advisable to at least let the public know, let them understand, so this way we can get a better acceptance. I, I deal with politicians down in D.C. I have dealt with many people across this country, and it's always like, oh, I never knew such a thing. It, the problem is it seems like everyone tries to keep it that they have a brain injury, but they don't want to tell people because it's private, but then they're upset when they're not, like when people complain because they're not meeting a standard which is a result of said brain injury. 
and that seems to be our biggest issue uh, in society. Well, I pulled that on the help of Tom Grady. I don't know where Tom is, but whenever I have an issue that's related to something like that, I always go back to the Brain Injury Alliance because from my vantage point, they're there to advocate for us. Um, if we have a walk, which is coming up, and that's where Rich Anderson check comes into play, you know, you try your hardest to make yourself available to do those sorts of things, I suggested him to get us hats. You know, I'll put the hat. I mean, I wear hats all the time in my property. People look at me like, what do you wear? What is that? Um, I have one that's for um, Tourette's. Because when I was at work, Wednesday was Tourette's Day. So I always wear my red hat. And sometimes I have my back off hat. Because I went to one of the rallies with, um, I don't think it was, I guess it was Christy, when we went down to Trenton. So it was a back off rally. But I didn't go by myself. I went with my colleagues and my, my principal of my building. But you know, I do wear hats, so I think that that would be useful. But using it when it's necessary to use it, not necessarily to wear it on my forehead or something like that. Excuse me, I'm gonna just in, in, interject a little bit. One of the things that we, uh, in my experience with a lot of support groups and a lot of discussions with brain injured people, has to do with the fact that, you know, one thing about brain injury, you're not wearing any sort of something to, to indicate that you're injured. You're not wearing a, a, a cast, or you're not wearing a bandage, or anything else, except your brain is injured. And if you just stand there like this, nobody else knows that your brain injured. Nobody even knows to help you. Thing is, they have to know to help you. So there are positives and negatives. As far as I'm concerned, in my experience with other people, the negatives outweigh the positives because the fact that nobody knows to help you, you're sitting at a table, you're just standing in a group of people, the fact that no one knows to help you is kind of difficult. And I don't think that that's something that is easily, whether you can wear a hat or anything, it's not something that somebody is going to recognize. And it's got to be something that we can find a solution to. Maybe not this morning, but uh, can sometime. I add, can I add something? Well, the more famous people that we have that have involvement with brain injury, the more the public understands. Can I add something? Over here. You go. <laughs> All right. You're we, on the are, we are a, a distinct exclusive minority and politics gets involved with all minorities you know um, we're we're I'm, we're living in a more and more hopefully transparent world as long as you know okay Susan we have a question over here my name is Joanne Snyder. My husband had a major stroke, and um, eventually, well, he was here, and eventually he went to Adler Aphasia Center in Maywood, and they do a wonderful job. I don't know um, how many how many of you are aware of Adler? Um, if you did hear about it, please raise your hand. 
It's a wonderful place. And now I volunteer at the JCC in um, West Orange. And I want to tell you that there are two people at the Maywood Center who work there, but they started out there as members. They needed assistance. And now they're working there. And I want to say, it's, not, it's more of a, of a statement rather than a question that you guys are giving people a vast, a good, a large, big hope. And um, because you are showing them that after a brain injury, you can do it, and so can the other people. So I would like to applaud you. Thank you. You know that this particular uh, conference that we're at today, without volunteers, this conference would not go on. So. Uh, Kessler, as far as I'm concerned, really exuberates volunteerism because now we have a conference that's really very successful. And that's because of mostly volunteers. Am I correct? Yes. Thank you. Did you want to make a statement? Thank you, Rich. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions for right now? I have a whole bunch, but if you don't have any for right now, I have, oh, I see. Thank I you, Jean. you forgot about me, because I'm not that important. Oh, I didn't say so that. So, one of the questions that, that you asked was, how do you say no? And I say, you know, as a person who doesn't deal well with, with stress or anxiety, it was easier to say yes than to say no. And one person said to me, no is a complete sentence. I said, really? Yes, and when my stress, you know, when my son would say, I want $5 for this, I want this, I want to go here, my, if you need an answer right now, 
the answer is no. But if you give me some time to think about it, all right, I'll get back to you with the answer. But if you need an answer right now, the answer is no. And over time, I've learned to be able to do that, to have the courage to say no. Not that it's any easier, but the courage. And, and I want well, you to ask the panel a question, because I just didn't ask a question. I, I answered what was shared with me. What, for, when we're talking about volunteerism, here are the three of you volunteering. I don't think you're getting paid. So what is the benefit for each of you? And I'm hoping it's a little different for all of us. Dennis, why don't you take that first? Okay, I'm not actively volunteering now, but the benefits you get from volunteering are more to yourself as well as, as the person you're volunteering for. Um, you, you feel gratified, you, you, I mean, the whole energy in the room meshes and, you know, you, you benefit the person that, you, that you're, you're uh, watching or reading something to, playing a card game with. Uh, some of the things that I did while I was volunteering at the Head Injury Center. Um, and, and like I said again uh, about the people that are totally, you know, not movable or anything. Uh, a presence in the room, just your presence being there, is is gonna is gonna benefit them. I mean, in more ways than than you imagine. Mostly unconsciously, they're gonna they're gonna know you're there. Out of curiosity, how many volunteers are in our audience this morning? Raise your hand if you're a volunteer somewhere, anywhere. Okay, about half the amount that should be. Okay, keep going, John. Yeah, um, one of the, I, I have a trach scar. Sometimes I'll have my um, shirt unbuttoned. Sometimes I'll have my shirt unbuttoned while I'm volunteering, and some of the patients notice I have a trach scar, and they say, "Were you a patient here?" And I said, "Yes, I was a patient here." That that kind of I think that gives them hope and. Um, it feels good that you're feeding back to the people that are going through the same steps, that's all. Do people ask you that, that uh, are, are familiar with trach scars, or do, do people ask you that, that want to know why you have that mark on your trachea? Well, I think a lot of the patients in the, in the hospital have the same scars, mm -hmm. so they, 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 they can relate a little bit to me. Kind of enables them to realize that they're not alone. That's good. Thank you. Okay, in my situation, I guess I'm trying to, you know, examine, you know, the idea of no or, you know, saying no. As I said to you, I, I usually do not say no, so I find myself overextended on occasion. So, but it's all good. All right, so, I guess it was hope. Maybe you had asked the question. You know, you have a lot of time, and how do you manage to, or prioritize? Somebody had asked about prioritizing. I tend to prioritize what I really want to do for the day. I really didn't want to retire. That was not in the game plan. I wanted to work two more years, but it didn't happen and I didn't make it. So I had to redevelop. And what, by using the computer is like the most foreign thing to me. So as I shared earlier, um, I redeveloped myself by using the computer and registering other people for um, different tests that they need to take in the hospital setting. 
but I'm off-site. So I guess the question was, I'm not getting paid for it, you're correct, as a volunteer and labor and delivery, but I am getting paid off-site to register somebody. And actually, not a bad salary. It's just the not very many hours working. And it's not exactly doing what I really want to do, which is more in keeping with working with people that are brain injured, as my colleagues seem to be doing, because I think I have um, suggestions to offer them to how they can go on the road to recovery a little bit faster by maybe taking some of the suggestions that I've incorporated into my world and support groups that, have I, that I have attended. That would be useful. Thank you. I have a question here that uh, somebody from the panel or somebody from the audience might want to answer. Who may be a good person to consult regarding involvement with volunteering? You could talk about people that you've consulted and then other people in the audience, possibly people who are consultants for things like that. Panel? Dennis. Okay, Michelle, go ahead. Okay, um, How about John? <laughs> here's, here's Johnny. <laughs> Anyways, um, <laughs> one of the places I noticed in the church, Bolton, they said, um, show up at the church on Saturdays at, I think it was 11 o'clock to volunteer for the soup kitchen. So I called the, the priest and I asked, do you think it'd be okay with, you know, they knew my handicap because they experienced my journey pretty much the whole way. And he said, John, sure, it's okay to volunteer the soup kitchen. So that was one of the places I first volunteered. And they didn't give you any negatives when you went there? They, they were very positive about it? No, they found a perfect, they found a, it's pretty simple at soup kitchen, you just serve food. As a matter of fact, make sure the plate's full and bring it to the patients. And um, butter the bread and stuff like that. So I was in a line to butter the bread and get the pre-appetizer the pre, um, ready for the patients to have. And um, most of, mostly parishioners would supply the food. We'd warm up the food in, I think it was Elizabeth, the soup kitchen was. Right. And um, we, we just, um, I, you paired up with a person, one person served, other person um, carried the tray to the, to the different spots. So you always had a team member to volunteer with, and that worked out well for me. That's good. Anyone else want to talk about that? Yeah, John, John's experience just brings to mind um, when I was attending Rutgers College, part of the um, Livingston College, it was at the time, um, part of, of the program was volunteering, serving the homeless in uh, Elias Kitchen, Brunswick. And that, that's the same giving to people that really don't have. So Mike, if I'm not, if I just kind of rephrase this, you're asking who yeah. do we go to uh, as far as volunteering? I mean, it depends on the venue. If you wanted to volunteer, who would it be that you might get in touch with? All right, so I'm going back to the gal who asked about her husband. I suggested that she needs to tell me what, your, what his passion is. Once, he find, what, once you find out what his passion is, if he's interested as one of our chick people was a former teacher and she suffered a brain injury. And she was amazed that you know I was volunteering. I was like, really? No, it's not amazing. You just have to, if you think you can do it, you can do it. So you have to kind of figure out you know, if you like to read to little ones, then go to a library. They can't discriminate against you. Go to the library. She wanted to go back to her school, and I said, well, I'm not really sure that's going to work for you. 
because some people would have some recognition and they might feel somewhat uncomfortable letting her stay with the class without an itinerant teacher there with her. So that might create some bit of problems, but as long as you figure out what you'd like to do, or maybe one of your hidden talents, you know, I'm not volunteering with this piece, but you know, I decided my daughter was really good at tap and she did this tap and dance until she was 18 and went on to college. So I thought, what the heck, so let's give it a shot. So I'm taking a tap class. Nobody there knows that I have a brain injury. Like, why would they need to? I'm just trying to do the steps. Maybe my memory is coming in the way because I can't do it, but if I practice a little bit more, it might work out a little bit better for me. So I think my response to you is to determine who's in charge. For me, it's sim simple. You know, I'm in a hospital setting, so I have to go to um, the volunteer office and speak to the manager. Some of them I really don't have much respect for, but others I highly regard. So, you know, whoever is the person on the top is who I go to. But at the same token, at St. Peter's, I'm a volunteer, but I'm also a paid employee. So I flip my card, depending on which day I'm there. If I'm on a volunteer, I'm a volunteer. When I'm working at the property, I'm a paid employee. So, you know, it all depends on, you know, your venue as to who it is that you need to go to to get the position you're looking for. Thank you, Michelle. I would like to thank our, I'm out of time, I'd like to thank our panel members, Michelle, John, and Dennis. Please give them a hand, everybody. I, uh, I also want to ask anybody who has a possibility of getting involved in volunteering to do so. I think it would be a really good idea. I want to thank Kessler for all the volunteers that are helping out at this conference today. And um, I wanted to, uh, uh, let's, let's just say, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to dedicate the program that we had today to my wife, Arlene. She had been at Mike at the Mic for the past 20 years in program. Last year, she passed away of cancer. And I was thinking whether or not to do this or not, but one thing she told me before she died was that never give up Mike at the mic. So honey, I never did. And I wanted to thank you all for coming.